um, such a privilege and blessing to be here with you tonight. And uh, I remember the first time I preached here, uh, my wife uh, made sure next time I preach, I greet you the right way. Because last time I came, I said good night. So she felt that I was just dismissing everybody. So she said, just say good evening, good evening. So good evening, and it is a blessing to be here with you tonight. And there's, that's the only way to learn, right? Like you just have to say it, you just try it, and then kind people will come and help you to improve. So I'm thankful for that, and as well for the opportunity in Pastor Anthony's birthday. And tonight, we're going to be uh, learning from Psalm 93. And the title of this sermon is Yahweh's Reign. Yahweh's Reign. That is the title of our sermon for tonight. And again, we're going to be looking at Psalm, Psalm 93. And as you open your Bible and go to Psalm 93, I'm going to tell you that the golden age of the nation of Israel was a period of time when Saul, David, and Solomon were uh, the kings of the nation. So some of you know that Saul reigned for 40 years, then David reigned for 40 years, and then Solomon reigned for 40 years over the nation of Israel. So those 120 years are known as the golden age of this nation. And it is called the golden age because during those 120 years, Israel became the most powerful nation in that time in that region of the world. However, after that golden age, the kingdom of Israel was divided and gradually destroyed. And you might be wondering, what happened? Why did that happen? And that happened because the short life of the kings, nobody lives forever. Also because the weakness of the kings, they weren't strong enough to remain in the power. And that also happens because the impurity of the kings. These kings were impure. They were sinners. And it has been like that throughout the history of all worldly kingdoms. If you think, for example, of the empire that has lasted the longest, that is the Roman Empire. That empire lasted almost 1,500 years. But as every early kingdom, it came to an end. Because there is only one reign that is permanent, powerful, and pure. And that is Yahweh's reign. And that's what we see in Psalm 93. In Psalm 93, we find three statements, three statements of Yahweh's reign that will exhort you to trust in Him. Three statements of Yahweh's reign that will exhort you to trust in Him. And in verses 1 and 2, we learn Yahweh's reign is perpetual. Yahweh's reign is perpetual. The second statement is Yahweh's reign is powerful. Yahweh's reign is powerful. And we find that in verses 3 and 4, 
And the third statement is, Yahweh's reign is pure. Yahweh's reign is pure. And we find that in verse 5. So Yahweh's reign is perpetual, is powerful, and is pure. And with this in mind, let's read these five verses of this Psalm 93. And I also learned from my first time I came here that some of you use the Legacy Standard Bible. So that's what I'm going to be reading. Legacy Standard, Psalm 93. This is the Word of God. And it says, Yahweh reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Yahweh has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The rivers have lifted up, O Yahweh. The rivers have lifted up their voice. The rivers lift up their pounding waves. More than the voices of many waters. Than the mighty breakers of the sea. Yahweh on high is mighty. Your testimonies are very Faithful, holiness befits your house, O Yahweh, forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, for this time. We pray that you help us to understand your word, that you send us your Holy Spirit to guide us to the truth, and that you use your word to encourage, to exhort, and to counsel us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So the first uh, statement that we learn from this psalm is that Yahweh's reign is perpetual. And just look at the first phrase of Psalm 93 verse 1. It says, Yahweh reigns. And because of this first phrase, this psalm is known as a psalm of enthronement. There are many psalms that have this label, enthronement psalms. And this phrase, Yahweh reigns, is the key to understand not only this Psalm 93, but basically the entire book of Psalms. Because this Psalm exalts Yahweh's sovereign reign over all the earth. In fact, some other Psalms start like that. Look at Psalm 97, just a couple chapters over. Psalm 97, verse 1, Yahweh reigns. Look at Psalm 99. Psalm 99 verse 1. Start with the same phrase. Yahweh reigns. And going back to Psalm 93. It is clear that the objective of this psalm. Is to exhort the people. To exhort the reader. The worshiper. To trust in Yahweh. Because he reigns. This statement. Yahweh reigns. Is the uh, baton that directs the melody of this psalm. Now, regarding this phrase, Yahweh reigns, there is a big, a big discussion about this phrase because some scholars say that this phrase should be translated differently. And they say that this phrase should be translated instead of Yahweh reigns, should be translated Yahweh reigned, like in past tense. Or should be translated as Yahweh has become king. And the reason for that 
is because in some other verses of the scripture, the same verb is translated in past tense. It's translated like uh, if you read First Kings or Second Kings that you see uh, these transitions from the kings. That they will say, like, for example, of Josiah, that he was eight years old when he became king of Israel. And you will see the same pattern in this, uh, in first and second kings. So because the same verb is used in kings about the kings of Israel becoming king. So scholar will say, we cannot translate this Yahweh reigns like this present that is forever. It should be translated in past. However... That idea of Yahweh beginning to reign is odd and is rare, not only in light of the context of this psalm, but also of the testimony of the Bible. Just look at verse 2, Psalm 93. Your throne is established from of old. So it reinforces the idea that Yahweh's reign is perpetual, that Yahweh's reign is Forever. A commentator said that in the Babylonian theology is this they have this false god that is called Marduk. And they said they believe in their worldview that Marduk became king at creation. So he wasn't king before creation, but then he created whatever he created according to Babylonian like a worldview, and after he created, he became king, acquired an authority he did not have before. Well, to begin to reign might be true of early kings. It, 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 we know it's not true about Marduk or any other false god, but we know that that is not true of the God of the Bible. Again, if you're wondering, when did God? begin to reign, you don't have to go any further, but again, look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, your throne is established from of old. And the second phrase of verse 2 says, you are from everlasting. And if you notice in this verse 2, we have two references, two references to time. Verse 2 again, your throne, your throne is established from of old. And then the second phrase, you are from everlasting. So you have from of old and from everlasting. Those two references to time. And the first reference from of old is talking about God's throne. And the second reference, everlasting, is talking about Yahweh. The implication here is obvious. Yahweh is eternal. Yahweh is everlasting, therefore his throne is eternal. Yahweh is eternal and reigns from everlasting to everlasting. And that might be ringing a bell in you because just a couple of Psalms uh, before, look up Psalm 90, the psalm that Moses wrote. Look at Moses wrote in Psalm 90 verse 2. He says, before the mountains were born, and that's a reference to creation. So Moses is saying, before creation, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we see that biblically, 
The idea is that Yahweh reigns forever, from everlasting to everlasting, because Yahweh's reign is perpetual. His kingdom, his reign, has neither beginning nor end. With this in mind, we believe that the most natural way to understand the first phrase, Yahweh reigns, is just like that, from everlasting to everlasting. His throne is established from all. God is from everlasting. And his, his perpetual king, Yahweh's perpetual king, is consistent with his nature. Notice that verse 1 continues to tell us about the exclusivity of his kingdom. Look at verse 1. Yahweh reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Yahweh has clothed and girded himself with strength. This king is different from all early kings. All early kings receive their kingdoms and authority through someone else. But Yahweh does not receive his kingdom or authority from someone else. It is part of his very essence and nature. Note, note how verse 1 is very emphatic about Yahweh doing this himself. Verse 1 again. He is clothed with majesty. Yahweh has clothed and girded himself with strength. Early kings are clothed and girded with royal robes by someone else. I don't know if you remember this, but two years ago was the coronation of King Charles of England. And if you want to know more about it, you can go and ask Pastor Anthony. He can tell you more about it. But I remember watching part of the ceremony with Olivia, and we noticed that during the ceremony, he was just sitting there in this massive gold uh, seat, and different people would come and go, giving him different things. So we saw people coming and giving him the scepter. And then we, we saw people coming and giving him the crown. And we saw people coming and giving him the robes, the royal robes, and different things. And it was just like that for, for hours. That is true about King Charles. He's just sitting there. Somebody else is giving him the tools of his authority and reign. Yahweh, the perpetual king, needs no one to dress him or to crown him. Yahweh is clothed with majesty. He clothed himself. Now, this does not mean that at some point he received authority that he did not have. On the contrary, this verse 1, when he's talking about Yahweh doing this to himself, emphasizes that authority is in his very essence. He himself is the authority. And to help me understand and explain this a little bit more, a little bit more, I want to read a, a quote from uh, Pastor MacArthur talking about God's authority. He says this, quote, Original and ultimate authority resides with God and God alone. And I like the way he puts it right here. He says, God did not inherit his authority. There was no one to bequeath it to him. 
God did not receive his authority. There was no one to bestow it on him. God's authority did not come by way of an election. There was no one to vote for him. God did not seize his authority. There was no one from whom to steal it. God did not earn his authority. It was already his. And that is the idea that he just doesn't have authority. He did not begin to be sovereign at some point in time. Yahweh is sovereign from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. It's like the old theologians like John Owen used to say, All that is in God is God. Sometimes we used to talk about God like He's having love. Or He has mercy. Or He has this. But it's more proper to say that He is love. That He is from everlasting. That He is King. That He is sovereign. Yahweh Himself declaring next to the street, I am who I am. And the demonstration of this sovereignty, of this reign, of this authority... We see that in the second part or the last part of this verse too. Again, Yahweh reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Yahweh has clothed and girded himself with strength. And look at the third phrase. Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. So that is the demonstration of, of God's reign that he created everything that existed. His throne had already been established since ancient times. And Yahweh created the world to put on display His authority and reign. So, verse 1 shows us that Yahweh reigns. And that He shows His authority reigning over creation. He rules over this world and governs over this creation. And verse 2 is the affirmation that that reign... That kingdom, that rule is perpetual. You are from everlasting. Yahweh reigns over the universe, over the nations, over the kings of the earth. He reigns over the most complex and complicated realities of this world. And the encouraging part is that He also rules over the most particular and the smaller things of this world. He reigns over every single thing that we are facing. And that's when this becomes encouraging. Because yes, Yahweh reigns over nations and the worlds and the universe and all the complexity of this world. But He also reigns over the small things in our life. Like every single thing that happens in our life is, is Yahweh's reign. He is the one ordaining every single thing that happens in our life. And that should encourage us. Because it is Yahweh whom is controlling and orchestrating everything that happening in our life. That's why this psalm exhorts and encourages us to trust in Him. Because He reigns over all. Psalm 93 not only declares Yahweh's perpetual reign, but also declares Yahweh's 
reign is powerful. Yahweh's reign is powerful. In Luke verses 3 and 4. The rivers have lifted up all Yahweh. The rivers have lifted up their voice. The rivers lift up their pounding waves. More than the voices of many waters. Than the mighty breakers of the sea. Yahweh on high is mighty. And this verse 3 presents the, the picture of rivers and streams of water rising. And as you can tell, verse 3 is very poetic. This is poetic literature in the Psalms. And, and that's what the psalmist is using here to depict this picture of, of waters that are lifting up. And it's poetic. You see the three lines. The rivers are lift up. The rivers are lift up. The rivers lift up their pounding waters. And if you think about it, water can be very dangerous. Especially if you are on a boat that is buffeted by the waters in a storm. And you are about to be shipwrecked. That's very, very scary. And you probably remember that portion of the scripture when the disciples were in a boat in the middle of the sea. And waters start to cover in the boat. And they woke up the Lord and said, save us because we are perishing. So waters can be very scary. But we need to know that in this poetic Literature, language, should, uh, water should not be understood in a literal way, like literal water, but it should be understood as a reference to many people. It should be understood as a reference to a crowd, to a multitude of people. And that crowd, in this context, is a reference to the ungodly. It's a reference to the rebels. It's a reference to God's enemies. So what the psalmist is saying is here is that the waters raising up is the multitude of the unrighteous, the ungodly, the enemies of God's people raising up. And we can, we know that because in, in other, uh, both in, in the psalms and in the prophets, water is, uh, is a term that they use to talk about a crowd and just to show one example, look to Psalm 124. Psalm 124. There's many verses, but just to show you one, we're trying to understand waters as a, a picture of a multitude, a crowd, the enemy of God's people. Psalm 124. Let's just read uh, the first five verses. This is son of David. He says, Had it not been Yahweh who was on our side, let Israel now say, Had it not been Yahweh who was on our side, when men rose up against us, verse 3, then they will have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters will have flowed uh, over us. The stream will have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters will have swept over our soul. So you can see how in poetic language, water is a, 
a picture of the enemies as a multitude. Listen to Isaiah 17 verse 12. Isaiah 17 verse 12 says, Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas, and the rumbling of nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. And I don't know if you remember Psalm 2, but Psalm 2, the first three verses, talks about how the people gather like a crowd, like a multitude, and they, they gather in rebellion against Yahweh and His Anointed One, against His Messiah. So, going back to Psalm 93, verse 3, this psalm presents chaos and evil Raising up. And it is a, 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 a scary situation. It's a desolate panorama. Who can stand up against the stormy sea? Who can face the enemies that are raging and gathering like raging waters? Who can face that? Look at the last phrase in verse 4. Verse 4, Psalm 93, the last phrase says, Yahweh on high is mighty. Mighty can be understood as powerful. Mightier than what? More powerful than what? Look at verse 4, the first two phrases. More than the voices of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. And you can note the idea between verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, the Waters are lifting up. The rivers are lifting up. They're lifting up three times. The psalmist says right here. And verse 4 says that they are mighty. Lifting up, lifting up, lifting up. They're mighty. But Yahweh, verse 4 at the end, says that Yahweh is higher. And that He is mighty. So higher than the storm, more powerful than the storm, it is Yahweh. Because his reign is powerful. Certainly, the rebels, the enemies can raise up and they will. They can roar and they will. They will cause damage like waters. But no natural or human force can stand against the power of Yahweh's reigns. I just love the way the psalmist present that. Verse 3 is just this chaos rising up. The, the waters rising up. The rivers rising up. They're mighty. But Yahweh on high is mighty. All the noise and roar that the waters can cause. Compared to the voice of Yahweh. It is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And we're sure about that. Because go with me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Yahweh on high is mighty. And look at the voice of Yahweh in Psalm 29. Just look at Psalm 29 verse 3. Psalm 29 verse 3 says, The voice of Yahweh... Is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. 
Yahweh is over many waters. And it's the same idea. The waters are the enemies. The waters are the rebels. But the voice of Yahweh is over the waters. Yahweh is over as this idea of ruling, reigning over the waters. And you can see the voice of Yahweh is mentioned many times in here. Verse 4, the voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of splendor. Just go to verse 9. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. But look at verse 10. This is key. Verse 10. The voice of Yahweh. Verse 10 says, Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. And if you think about what is the most devastating or chaotic thing that water has ever caused in the history of this planet. You might think about the flood. The flood was the most powerful thing water ever did. It killed everybody back in Genesis. But look at verse 10 again. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Even in the flood, he is ruling. Even in the flood, he reigns because his reign is powerful. And we just said it. He controls. He rules. He's sovereign over every single thing that happens in this world. Just look, go a couple of Psalms um, ahead in Psalm 65. We're reading how Yahweh reigns powerfully over the waters, over the enemies. Psalm 65, we can start in verse 5. Psalm 65, verse 5. It says, by fearsome deeds, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea, who established the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who steals the rumbling of the seas, the rumbling of their weights, and the tumult of the peoples. So we see the same idea, Yahweh steals the rumbling waters because His reign is powerful. And just go ahead to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 6. Psalm 89, verse 6. Verse 6 says... For who in the sky is comparable to Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty is like Yahweh? And go down to verse 9. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its, when its waves rise, you steal them. Again, this is just Yahweh's sovereign Reign, dominion, and power over the seas, over the waters. When its waters rise, you steal them. MacArthur says, the sea 
with all its power is nothing compared to the power of God. Where can you find refuge when chaos and evil lift up in this world? Trusting Him who sits on the throne and on the power of His reign. Go real quick to Isaiah 17. We read this earlier, but I want to show you something. Go to Isaiah 17. Don't lose Psalm 93. We're coming back to that Psalm. But just real quick. Isaiah 17. This is wonderful here in Isaiah 17, verse 12. Isaiah 17, verse 12. says, Alas, the uproar of many peoples, who roar like the roaring of the seas, and the rumbling of nations, who rumble unlike the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away. By the way, there is only one to whom the winds and the water obey. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what He did on the boat with the disciples. Remember that in Matthew, I said earlier that in a boat, a storm started. And they're worried because they're about to die. So they wake up the Lord and say, save us because we will perish. And the Lord just spoke to the winds and the water and everything was perfectly calm. And the disciples start wondering who or what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the water obey him. And the only person in the entire New Testament... That has power over creation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you, we see that again in Matthew 14. It's the same scenario. The disciples are in a boat. They're in the middle of a storm. And Jesus comes to them walking over the sea. And they start saying, ah, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And the Lord says, no, it's me. I am. And then Peter said, well, if it's you, command that I come to you walking over the water. And the Lord said, okay, go ahead. And we know the story. He started drowning. The Lord rescued him, rebuked him. And then when he got in the boat, everything was perfectly calm. And what was the reaction of the disciples? They didn't wonder again, what kind of man is this that creation obeys him? They knew already about that time. And what they say is, truly, you are the Son of God. So when you read this, Isaiah 17, 12 and 13, He said that He will rebuke them. That is exactly what Christ did with the winds and the water. He rebuked the winds and the water and everything was perfectly calm. That's a reference to Christ's deity. Christ is, He is the God-man. He is God in the flesh. He is God the Son incarnate. And that is just glorious to know this. That Isaiah says that He will rebuke the waters and waters will obey to Him. And He does it showing without a doubt that He is God 
the Savior of the world. We have seen two statements of the reign of Yahweh that exhort you to trust in Him. Yahweh's reign is perpetual, going back to Psalm 93. Yahweh's reign is powerful. Now let's see, Yahweh's reign is pure. And that is again in verse 5. Your testimonies are very faithful. Holiness befits your house, O Yahweh, forevermore. This final verse, I believe, exalts the purity of Yahweh's reign. He says, your testimonies are very faithful. And, and when we think about it, testimonies could be a reference to His word, to His decree. Because if you read Psalm 119, it uses all these terms, decrees, testimonies, word, counsel, in reference to God's word. And the idea here is that God rules in this world to His word and His decree. God created everything with the power of His word. God sustains everything that exists with the power of His Word. He rules over all with the power of His Word. There is a quote by Lord Acton that says, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you can see that in the history of the world. You see one president that is, is doing a good job and he wants more power, more power. And eventually, they just want to have control over everything and become a dictator. And that is true of worldly and fallen kings. Some people will take one position that is a position of power and prestige. And they might be the nicest person you know. But once they touch or they're in contact with that kind of power, that absolutely changes their heart. And again, it is true of worldly and fallen kings. But it is not true of Yahweh. Because His reign is pure. A commentary says that unlike human rulers, Yahweh, the King, is holy. Separate from all that is corrupt. And just read uh, with me, go real quick to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. This Psalm 99, verse 5. We read earlier, verse 1, Yahweh reigns, but look at verse 5. He says, Exalt Yahweh our God, and worship at the footstool of His feet. Holy He is. And that is again a declaration of God's holiness. And when we talk about God's holiness, we understand God's holiness in two ways. In one way, holiness means that in God there is no corruption. There is no immorality. There is no sin in Yahweh. But in the other sense, God's holiness teaches us that He is different from everything that is created. That there is none like Him. So in one hand, holiness teaches that He is pure. There's no sin 
in God, and on the other side, it teaches that he, that no one is like him. And that is why his reign is pure. It is holy. It is different. There is nothing sinful or unjust about his reign. Even when Yahweh brings judgment to the world, it is just. And look at Psalm 96. Just go one psalm, couple psalms over. Look at Psalm 96.10. Even when he brings judgment, it is just. Psalm 96 verse 10 says, Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. And if you notice, this is exactly the same verse 1 that we read in Psalm 93. He says, Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. He will render justice to the peoples with equity. No one else can reign as Yahweh reigns. His reign is unlike any reign or any kingdom on earth. Yahweh reigns. His throne is eternal. He has power over the waves. And His reign is pure. Look again at verse 5. He says, Holiness befits your house. Because the king is pure, his reign, therefore, is pure. All those who belong to his reign must be also pure, just as he is pure. And the, the implication here is clear. No, no one that is impure has any part or entrance in his pure kingdom. Holiness befits your house. The ungodly, the unpure, they don't have a place in God's kingdom. But we have a problem. We cannot make ourselves pure. We cannot make ourselves holy. That's why the king sent his anointed one. He sent his son. So that all that believe in Christ and repent of their sins. Can be at peace with God the king. And be welcome in his kingdom. Look at the last phrase of this verse 5. O Yahweh forevermore. And that verse just functions like a reminder of Yahweh's eternal king. It is start telling us Yahweh reigns. And the last very phrase of this psalm just reinforces that. O Yahweh forevermore. I want you to notice something in this psalm. Again, verse 1 starts saying Yahweh reigns. And in the last verse, the last verse of this psalm, there is a reference to God's holiness. And that's exactly the same in Psalms 97 and 99. Look at Psalm 97 again. Psalm 97 starts saying, Yahweh reigns. And look at the last verse. Verse 12 is a reference to holiness. Be glad in Yahweh, you righteous one. And give thanks for the remembrance of His holy name. 
Look to Psalm 99. It's the same thing. Verse 1, a reference to His reign. And the last verse, a reference to His holiness. Verse 99, Psalm 99, verse 1. Yahweh reigns. Verse 9. Exalt Yahweh our God. And worship as His holy mountain. For holy is Yahweh our God. Yahweh is the holy king. His reign is holy. His throne is holy. His name is holy. His mountain is holy. His war is holy. His house, house is holy. Everything about Yahweh and His kingdom is holy. Again, the implication is clear. All His servants, all the people that come to Him are required to be holy because without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. And again, the only way to be holy is through faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot make ourselves pure. It is only through faith and repentance, faith in what the Lord has done and in His work on the cross. Let me just end with this. We don't know when this song was written. You know, there are some songs that you can read, you can read, and, and they will tell you when the song was written. I mean, we just read Psalm 90, so Psalm of Moses, so that was written early on. Some other psalms were written before the captivity in Babylon. Some other psalms we know were written after the captivity in Babylon. However, uh, whether they were captives in Babylon, you know, when they were in Babylon, they were tortured by the king of Babylon. After Babylon, it was uh, Cyrus the Great that was also torturing them. Or during the Roman Empire, it was an early king that was causing harm to them. But regardless, the time of the psalm, when, when the song was written, I think the, the idea that there's not a reference to when the song is written is that the singing of this psalm will remind the worshiper that it doesn't matter who is sitting on the early throne. It doesn't matter who is, just to put it in modern times, it doesn't matter who is the president. What matters is who sits. In the heavenly throne. And that is Yahweh. Because his reign is forevermore. And that is uh, I think I believe an application for us. Whenever we see the chaos raising up in this world. When we see the evil that is taking place in the country that we live on. And we're about to have elections for those that can vote. And, and a lot of people have their hopes. I really hope that my president is back. Or I really hope this new guy is back. Regardless of that, when the chaos of the world rises like unruly water, we are going to trust in Yahweh because He reigns. He is the one sitting in the throne. And He is the one that establishes the early kings. So our hope shall be that Yahweh reigns and not who is seated in the earthly and momentary throne. Trust in His reign 
which is perpetual. Trust in his reign that is powerful. Trust in Yahweh's reign because it is pure and it is forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm that is a sweet, sweet and very encouraging reminder that you reign from everlasting to everlasting. You are God and our hope is in you. You are in the throne and every single thing that is happening in this world, every single thing that is happening in our own lives, we know that you rule and you reign over that very thing. And our confidence and our trust is that you're using that very thing in our life to make us more like Christ. You're using trials and hardships and difficult situations to make us look up to the throne where you sit, where you rule forever. And we're thankful for everything you're doing in our life. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.